Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. On Sunday morning, we continued our series called Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones is something that followers of Jesus live out on a daily basis as we are constantly battling with forces that want to take Jesus off of that throne in our life. All right, good morning, FAM Church. Welcome. Um, I forgot to tell you guys last week, on Easter Sunday, we took a special Easter offering that was going to uh, an organization that helps rescue uh, women and children out of sex slavery around the world. And when I get told something, I forget that I got to tell you guys. So I, get, I know it, and so I'm just like, okay, I know that. And so I just wanted to tell you how much came in for that offering. Almost $4,000 came in that Sunday for, uh, to head towards... Uh, to helping rescue people out of that world. And so I want to say thank you guys so much for giving and for making a difference for women and girls around this world. And so um, we're continuing this morning in our series, Game of Thrones. Um, that's that, that intro, that music is just so intense. Doesn't it make you feel intense when you just listen to that? I don't know, it just does to me. But this series is about looking at the battle in our life for our Iron Throne. And so if you weren't here last Sunday, you may be saying to yourself, well, what do you mean by Iron Throne? Well, the Iron Throne is the part of us that controls the direction of our life. Okay, it's the seat, it's the spot that leads us and guides us as we make decisions in life. And what we're doing to explore this is we're going to actually look at it, we're looking at a real king who sat on a real throne, we're looking at some events from the life of David, king of Israel, in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And as we started reading in those verses, what we saw the first thing that happened was, it's Satan immediately was whispering into David's ear. And there were two things going on that made David open to the whispering of Satan. And the first thing we found in that was that David had made a decision in his life. And the decision that he made in his life was this. He was going to follow God on his ways and on his terms. And he wasn't going to follow God according to his ways and his terms. What do I mean by that? Well, what happened is David went out and he counted all of the men who were able to wield the sword in Israel. Okay? Well, the problem was is that he just went out and had all of the men in the country counted. And that was not the way that God had told Israel to count the number of troops. There was all kinds of exclusions, all sorts of people who were eliminated for it. But David didn't want to eliminate people. He wanted to count and know how many men he could give a sword to. And so he was breaking God's word. He was breaking what God had spoken. And so that gave David access, or I mean, it gave Satan access to whisper in his ear and, uh, and access to his iron throne by removing God from that spot in his life. And we, a lot of times, do the same thing. You know, we'll read God's word, we'll see what God's word says, and we'll say, well, you know, that's cool, but I got my own plans. And God's just got to be cool with that. And see, when we do that, what we're doing is we're opening ourselves up to the voice of God whispering and speaking into our situation. And what it does is it gives Satan a foothold in our life that Jesus should actually have. And then the second thing that we saw last week that affected David's ability to hold his iron throne was he just didn't feel good about himself. We looked at where he had come in the last few years, and he had had a really rough life. He had had a lot of things going on. We mentioned, okay, first he had an affair. Then he had the woman um, whose husband he had an affair with killed. And then that, that, that woman was pregnant, and she had a baby, and that baby died. And then one of his sons rose up because David failed to deal with a situation in the household where... A brother raped one of his sisters. And so, so David was not feeling good. 
And so Satan knew he wasn't feeling good, and so he used, this to, uh, he used this as an opportunity to speak into his life and say, David, I know what will make you feel better, bro. Count how many men are in your army. And when you find out how many mil, that's going to make you feel good, okay? Because like, you know, it's like, it's like a pastor counting the number of people in his church, okay? If he's feeling down about himself, oh, but you know what? We've got more people this week than we had last week. I'm feeling good about myself, okay? And so that's what kind of David was doing. He, he, uh, he was just saying to himself, you know what? Counting this big army shows how powerful I am. It shows how tough I am. It shows how good of a leader I am. And it made him feel good about himself. And the deal is that we do the same thing. You know, we like to feel good in life. Nobody likes to feel bad. Nobody likes to walk around going, oh man, I just feel terrible all the time. And when we do that, we're open to opportunities for Satan to come in because we're going to say to ourselves, man, I'd really like to have something happen in my life that would help me to feel good. And when we do that, um, it opens a door for Satan. We've got to remember that life is hard and there are so many things that go wrong but we can't be looking for relief wherever it's possible because that creates a playground for the enemy. He will take the opportunity of our pain and our hurt to gain access to our iron throne and start a bloody and painful war against us to hold on to that iron throne. Okay, so that was last week. If you missed last week, just a brief overcap there. Now we're going to go on to this week and what happened to David after he listened to Satan and did something really dumb. And so to talk about this, let's ask this question. Has anybody ever had any consequences for a situation in their life that they thought the consequences did not fit the crime? Anyone in here saying, I feel like I got extra consequences and what I did really didn't fit that crime? Anyone ever been there? All right, okay, a few more hands go up. Um, I've told this story before, and so if you've heard this story before, uh, I guess you can kind of check out because you know where it's headed. Uh, but uh, when I was about 13 years old, something happened to me that I thought the consequences were a little bit extreme. Now, when I tell the story, you may say to yourself halfway through this story, you're not really suffering any consequences there. That's not really what happened. But for me, when I was in that situation, it really felt like consequences. And so, and so here's the story, okay? I'm, I'm about 13 years old. I'm in middle school, and it's summer vacation. And um, my friend calls me up, and he says, uh, hey, my family is going camping in a few weeks. Uh, we're headed up to northern Minnesota. We're going we're gonna to pitch tents. We're going to rough it. We're going to be manly. We're going to fish. We're going to do all of the manly manly, cool stuff that you do when you go camping, okay? And, uh, and uh, so do you want to go with? My family wants to know if you want to go with, so I have somebody to hang out with. And I'm like, heck yeah, let's do this. Let's do all this manly stuff. I was really excited about this. And so I made plans to go head off with my friend uh, to go with his family on a camping trip in the northern part of the state for a week. And so, and so we're, we're kind of living our life. Well, about a week before we head off on uh, this, this trip, my friend and I are at a drugstore, okay? We're hanging out in this drugstore, and, and we're looking around, you know, we've got some money in our pockets, and um, we're, we're looking at the candy and stuff like that, and back in those days, you had a few gum selections, okay? Um, we, uh, today, you have multiple gums to choose from. As a matter of fact, they have whole racks where you can just purchase gum these days, right? Well, back in the 1980s, there was only small racks of gum, and the two big gums that the teenagers chewed back then was either Hubba Bubba or Bubblicious, okay? Those were the two packs of gum that you would get. Now, there was Big League Chew, 
but that was on a whole nother level. You had to be extra cool to carry around big league chew in your pocket. And if I could find that stuff today, because I've seen it in places, I'll buy it, because it just, it just seems so cool, doesn't it? I got big league chew, baby. And you're just sticking that. Anyway, all right, so, so we're hanging out, and, and you had a, in people in life, they were one of two people. You were either a hubba bubba person or a bubblicious person, okay? There was no in-between, okay? Hubba Bubba didn't chew bubblicious sometime, and bubblicious didn't chew Hubba Bubba sometime. It just wasn't like that. And so I was standing there with my friend, and I decided, you know what? I want some gum. I had money in my pocket, but I wanted to try this bubblicious to see what it was like, but I didn't want to have to pay for it. Because who wants to pay for something that you don't think is cool, right? Anybody there? No? Because see, if I had spent my 50 cents, because that's how much the packs of gum were back then, if I had spent my 50 cents on a pack of Bubblicious, I would feel like I would compromise my morals. I mean, even by touching it, I felt like I was compromising. So, so here's the moral dilemma I was faced. What do I do? So you steal the gum, right? I mean, isn't that what you do when you're faced with a moral dilemma? You just steal the gum? So that's what I did. I'm standing around. I look to the right. I look to the left. I look up to see if there's, there's mirrors on the ceiling. Back then they used like mirrors on the ceiling so that the cashiers could kind of go like this as teenagers came into the store, okay? And I, I looked around and uh, I saw no mirrors. I saw no one looking. And so I grabbed this pack of Bubblicious and I stuffed it into my pocket and quickly headed out the door, okay? Just headed right on out the door, got outside, got to the sidewalk, and I stood there and I waited for my friend to come out. So I got my gum and I'm chewing my gum. I got away with stealing this hubba bubba. Now this is not, <laughs> when we were home, when I was home last summer, um, I told my mom, my friends and I, we were not good people, okay? And uh, there was a 7-Eleven near us that we stole all kinds of stuff from. And I have, we have all kinds of stories. I, I won't tell you those stories because I want to give the teens any ideas as to how to rip off a 7-Eleven. But uh, so this was, this was not my first incident of thievery, okay? Let's just put it that way. Um, and so I, I get my gum and I'm headed out. And li- within four hours, I've chewed my way through this pack of gum, right? And I'm like, okay, that was kind of lame, whatever. Well, I went to bed that night, and then I woke up the next morning, and I didn't feel good. Suddenly, I was throwing up, I had a fever, and I was in bed. Okay, so it's a bummer to be sick. I was one of those kids, I didn't like, I didn't like pretend I was sick to stay home from school. I've always been somebody who is very social, and so I liked being in school, because I'd rather be in school and sitting at home by myself watching TV, and we had video games back then, playing video games. I'd rather have been with people. Okay, and so, um, and so um, I, I got up, and, but the worst thing is not just being sick. Being sick in the summer is the worst for a kid, okay? If you lose a week of your summer to sickness, that is like a death penalty. And so I get sick, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going camping in a few days, so this will all be over soon. Well, I was sick for one day, then I was sick for two days. Pretty soon I was sick for five days, and we're getting closer and closer to the day we have to leave, fever. I mean, I think I had the flu, really. And, and, and so I'm sick, and I'm sick, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, dude, this is terrible. I went, right before the camping trip, the night before, I was still sick, but I was ter- determined to go. I packed my bags and was ready. My mother, however, shut that down really quickly. And I thought the reason that I was sick was why? Because I stole the gum, right? This was my punishment for a 50-cent pack of gum I stole, and I was mad at everyone. Okay, I was mad at my mom for not letting, my, letting me go, myself for stealing the gum, God for making me sick, and my friend for planning the trip that week. I mean, I was mad at everybody. 
Well, in our life, uh, in our events that we're going to read today from the life of David, there was consequences that happened as a result of his actions, but it seemed really severe. We are once again going to be... Once again, going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Like I said last week, 1 Chronicles is somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament. If you're unable to locate it or don't feel like putting in the work to locate it, I'll have it on the screen behind me. And we are going to read verses 9 through 17 in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And here's what it says. The Lord said to Gad, David's seer, Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies with the sword, with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then, decide how I should answer the one who sent me. Think about it. That was your selections. Okay, what do you got to choose from? Well, that's, yeah, that sounds like great options, doesn't it? Uh, David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. David looked up. And saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell face down. David said to Gad, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? God, Lord my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. All right, so what's going on here? Here's what we got. We've got David, and uh, God sends a prophet to David and, uh, and, and says, hey, you just went to God and repented, because in just the verse, I should have had a couple of verses before that read, uh, but, but God, David goes to God and he repents of his sin, and so uh, God sends this prophet to let David know, yeah, I know you messed up, repent, and this is where basically he tells God that he knows that he messed up. Um, for, and he is sorry for what he's done. And God tells him he forgives them, but there's still going to be consequences that have to be faced because of what he has done. And so David is given a choice as to what those consequences will be. Have three years of famine, three months of having your enemies kick your butt, or three days of throwing a plague in the land that's going to be felt from one end of Israel to the other. And he chooses this last one. And I, I believe there are three reasons why he chose this last one. Well, the first he gives in the text there, he says, um, I'd rather fall into the hands of the Lord than the hands of my enemies. Okay, that one's understandable. But a couple of other things I think were going through David's head during this time was, the second thing was, it was the shortest one. All the other ones were long periods of time, but this one was just three days, and David's just thinking, okay, let's do this, and let's get this punishment over with. And then I'm sure the third thing he was thinking, thinking is, man, I don't even have to suffer in this. I can go through all of this, and it's not going to come down on me. The people in the nation of Israel are going to suffer, and so I'm not going to suffer, and so this is all good, this is all okay. We're going to go with plan number three. And so the plagues begin to move through the land, and as they watch the results, it disturbs both David and God. David is disturbed because of all the people that were dying, or God was disturbed um, at all the people who were dying, and so he stops the plague on the land. David, meanwhile, has a different realization. 
See, he comes to the realization that the whole reason they're in this predicament in the first place is because of him and him alone. Okay, nobody else wanted the troops to be counted. Nobody in the nation of Israel said to him, David, go count the troops. It was him, he who had sinned. It was him who had fallen short, and it was the people who were suffering for it. He was the one who was causing all the pain in the land. And so David said, God, you need to punish me for what's taken place. It was like watching all this pain and suffering made David get what was going on here. It made him get the fact that this wasn't about consequences for sin, but what needed to be done in David's heart in order for God to once again claim the iron throne in David's life. And there's a couple of things that I see here that can help us in this battle for the iron throne in our life. And the first thing I see here is that when we willingly take Jesus off the iron throne of our life, there are going to be consequences. See, and I know that sounds kind of intense because when I say the word consequences, what comes to our mind? We go all crazy extreme like what happened to David, right? Oh, I sinned, so God's going to come in and strike my whole family dead, right? That's kind of the way we think. Somebody's going to, oh, man, I sinned. Somebody in my house is going to get cancer. One of my family members is going to get really sick. My child is going to die. A tornado is going to strike where I'm living, and my whole house is going to be destroyed. I mean, we go to the extreme when it comes to this. Uh, and, And because we read stuff like this, and we think, man, worst case scenario. But the deal is, is that when you think consequences, it's usually not going to be worst case scenario. See, most of the time, the bad things in life that happen to us are not consequences for anything at all in our life. What do I mean? You know, um, if, um, I know people who if a family member gets sick, they repent of every sin they can think of because God, because God must be punishing them. And the reason that we do this is because we have this belief. We have this belief that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And so therefore, if bad stuff is happening to me, that must mean I'm a bad person and have bad stuff in my life. I hate to tell you this, but our world does not function and operate on that principle whatsoever. See, we live in a world of pain, of hurt, of tragedy, of bad things. And many times in our world, people who do bad things actually prosper. And people who do good things end up suffering. It's a part of life. It's a part of this world. It's a part of the effect that sin has had on our planet. And so if you're going through something rough, if something crazy and tragic is happening in your life, Don't sit down and say to yourself, oh man, I must have some hidden deep sin someplace that I got to dig up and repent from. Because that's not usually the case. Usually what we get for our consequences is we get the direct result of whatever we're doing. And so the consequence comes like this. Okay, you go in and you rob a bank. What happens? You're arrested and you're put in jail. Okay, that's the consequences for the things that we've done. You know, we drive, rec- we drive recklessly and we have a car accident. We spend money that we don't have and we end up in debt. See, that's how consequences work usually in people's lives. 
But we have to remember the reason for consequences in the first place. See, the reason God gives us consequences is to teach us. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 15, a rod and reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. See, God is trying to teach us through the consequences of sin what is not good or beneficial for us. See, he's trying to help us become wise. And we don't like that, do we? But that's the way we learn, isn't it? Isn't that the way we usually learn? So if you were to go and just get into all kinds of crazy debt so you couldn't pay your bills and then somebody came along and paid off all your bills, what would you probably do? Go out and do the same thing all over again, right? And as long as somebody kept paying our debt when we got into a hole, we'd keep doing it. We wouldn't learn anything. We wouldn't gain wisdom from it. Just think of every time you punch someone in the face, you got an ice cream cone. How many people be getting punched in the face? <laughs> How many of you would just crave an ice cream cone so you'd punch somebody? <laughs> Not even mad at them. Excuse me. Bam. Okay. You know, if they took away the penalty for killing someone, there'd be a whole lot more murders. See, consequences teach us wisdom. And that is why God gives us consequences in the decisions that we make. Because he wants us to understand that when we're making decisions that move him from the iron throne, that they're not good and wise decisions that we should be making. And we need to rethink what we are doing. Now, here's the deal, though. Okay, so I'm not saying, okay, so now you've got to live your life perfectly. We know that this is impossible for us to live our life perfectly. We have to face the reality that at some point we're going to uh, make a move like David made. There's going to be times when we allow someone or something else access to our iron throne. So what do we do in that situation? Well, the first thing we must do is to make sure that we go to God and ask forgiveness. We've got to go to God and say, God, man, forgive me for what I've done. But that involves us having an open heart. We have to have that heart that's open to God's word speaking into us and communicating to us and telling us, hey, look, you've messed up. You've fallen short. You've done something that's giving Satan access to your iron throne. And so you better make some changes. See, a heart that is in tune to God, a heart that hears when God is speaking to us, is a heart that brings us to a place where we can ask for forgiveness. David's heart, David's heart seems to have been in tune with God because as soon as Joab returned from what he had done, um, uh, from this count, uh, David knew that he had screwed up. He said, I have sinned greatly by doing this. He then begged God to take away the guilt that he was feeling because of what he had done. He repented and asked for forgiveness. So what does that mean? When something uh, for us, when we do something that gives access to our iron throne to things and forces we don't want there, we need to go to God as soon as possible and do what David did. We need to go to God and let him know that we missed the mark and we know we screwed up and are asking for forgiveness for what we have done. We can't go to him, though, with the attitude of, oh, dang. Sorry, God, I got caught. So I'm here to repent 
of what I've done. I know, I'm busted. You caught me red-handed. And so therefore, let me repent of this. That's the wrong attitude. The definition of repent is to turn away from. So when you are repenting, you are saying, man, I know what I did is wrong. I know what I did is not what I was supposed to do. I'm turning away from that. And if we do not turn from it, if we just have a different attitude in our heart, it continues to leave that iron throne of our life vulnerable to Satan and to him getting in there and having more influence. We need to truly be repentant for our sin to the things that God says we shouldn't do. And when we do that, it helps to protect the iron throne from those invading forces that are trying to take it from God. See, David got his heart into the right place. It maybe took thousands of people dying for that to happen, but he got his heart in the right place. He finally realized that the only thing that was right was for him to be the one to suffer the consequences. And so we're left with this question, I would think, after that is, okay, So I go to God and I ask for forgiveness. So an hour from now, I commit the same sin. A day from now, I commit the same sin. Do I go and ask for forgiveness again? And then I do it again, 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 and again, and again, and again. Let's frame it this way, because this is where we run into a problem in our thinking. So let's say you get married, And within six months, how many weeks is six months? That's like uh, 25 weeks. Let's say in 25 weeks, your spouse has cheated on you 25 times. Okay? Are you going to keep bringing that person back into your house? No. Let's say you got someone living with you, and they steal money from you. Are you going to keep letting them live in your house? No. See, this is how we think, right? Okay, we got, we got room and space in our life for one forgiving. Maybe, possibly two, but once we get beyond that, we can't forgive anymore. And so what we do then is we paint a picture of a God who looks at us the exact same way. He says, well, okay, you screwed up once, I got your forgiveness this time. All right, the second time, all right, it's not so cool, but I forgive you this time. By the third time, God's like, you know what, you're a punk, you're a bum, I'm done with you, I'm walking away from you. That's how we think God is. That's not how God rolls. See, his love, his grace, and his mercy are so much higher than ours. It's so much higher that it's really difficult to communicate to us who live in a place where we don't have that kind of forgiveness, to understand that if you commit the same sin a million times and you go to God and you say, Jesus, forgive me, he has as much forgiveness for us as he did the first time you came to him. He has as much love for you as the first time that you came to him. His love, mercy, compassion, and grace is just so far beyond what we can comprehend, but we have to remember that. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't look at our situations like we look at our situations. And so we've got to have that heart that will go to him and repent and ask for forgiveness in those situations because he will forgive. But part of the ball also falls in our court when it comes to forgiveness. We have to be able to move forward after we fall. See, what too many believers do 
is this. They will sin. They will fall short. They will fall down. And they will do one of two things. They'll either go down and they'll stay down and sit there for weeks, months, or years. Or they'll go down and they'll say, well, that didn't work out well, so I'm just going to start heading backwards here. And so they start moving their life spiritually backwards. Both of those attitudes hold us back. See, our victory comes in life over the things and the sins and the challenges that we face spiritually when we get knocked down instead of staying down in that spot. When we get knocked down instead of getting up and start moving backwards and saying to ourselves, well, at least I'm going somewhere, where we stand up from that situation and we say to ourselves, God, I'm going to keep moving forward. I failed right here, but you've got something up there for me, and so I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to move forward in my spiritual life. See, when we're able to get punched in the face, stand back up and start swinging from where we left off is when we are going to start seeing the victory in our life over areas that seem to have our number. Too many people are looking for the instant victory, you know? Okay, I got knocked down. God, I repented. God, I asked for forgiveness. Take it all away now. Sometimes God does that. Most of the time, it doesn't work like that, though. Most of the time, it's a process. It's a lifelong process of slow and gradual victory where one day we can look back and we, say, we can say, man, look what God has done in my life. But see, we're never going to get there if we are hoping that the next time we ask for forgiveness, God is going to take it all away. See, because God is trying to do more in our life than get us to stop sinning. See, this is what, this is the problem is that we have made the Christian, focus of the Christian life is we got to stop sinning, we got to stop sinning, we got to stop sinning. That's not the goal and purpose of the Christian life. See, what God is trying to do in each of us through our walk with him is to develop us into people who are loving, who are filled with joy, who have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He's trying to develop the fruit of the Spirit in us and in our lives. He's not trying to, he's not standing, his primary concern isn't to try to get us to stop sinning. We've got to get our focus off of that and get our focus onto the fact that he's trying to make us more like Jesus. Yes, Jesus didn't sin, okay, but Jesus was a man who reflected all of the fruits of the Spirit in his life, and God is looking at us and saying, I want those things in your life too. And as you develop those fruits, as those things start to come alive in you, the sin and the other stuff that we're so focused on starts to fall and shed away as we develop that stuff in our life. See, if God were just to come and to take it all away, it wouldn't develop anything in us. All of our sin would be gone, and you know what we would be? We would be impatient, judgmental, unloving, not gentle, and have a complete lack of self-control. Anybody who gets anything instantly becomes a brat. And so God doesn't want spiritual brats. He wants people who can look at somebody who's maybe never walked with Jesus a day in their life and says, I understand the struggle, 
But here is what God has done in me over these years to develop me into this. He doesn't want us going to people and saying, you got this sin, that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin in your life. You got to get those all cleaned up. No. And so if you're here this morning and you are frustrated with the fact that you have things in your life that are leaving your iron throne open and vulnerable and you just want them gone, this is the way to get them gone. You get knocked down, you ask forgiveness, you stand up, you keep moving forward, and you allow God to do that slow process and work in you that over time develops you into the person he is calling you to be. Man, I know this personally, firsthand. This is how my spiritual life was. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was obsessed with trying to get all of the sin out of my life, and I just failed miserably because I would live this exact same thing out, you know? I would be going along fine, and something would happen. I'd be knocked down, and I'd lay there for a while, or I'd start moving backwards for a while, you know? And, and so one day God just said to me, look, Don't do that. When you repent, stand up and keep moving forward in your life. And when I've done that, that's when I've seen the greatest progress in gaining victory in my life. The church has inadvertently taught us through the years. It is communicated that when you sin, God is repulsed by you and he's going to set you off to the side until you have cleaned up the mess. See, here's the problem. We can never clean up the mess in our life. If we could, it wouldn't have been necessary for Jesus to come in the first place. If we could clean ourselves up and get ourselves straight and right, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come because we would have take care, taken care of that on, his own, on our own. But we can't, so he came. And I know moving forward is a vague term, and so what do I mean by, all, by, by, by moving forward? Okay, a couple of things here. Number one, spiritual like your spiritual disciplines, you know, your prayer, your reading the Bible, those sorts of things, okay? So you get knocked down. What a lot of people do is they get knocked down, they stay down here for a, for a little while, and then they're like, well, I'm not going to read my Bible, I'm not going to pray while I'm down here because God doesn't want me doing that because of un- how unholy I am. No, okay, stand back up, you repent, you break, you get back into your spiritual disciplines as quickly as possible. But for some of us, it may mean that we need more help than just some spiritual disciplines. For some of us, it may mean that we need to get ourselves around people and places and stuff that's going to help us to continue to move forward. See, some people who face addictions in their life, telling them to pray and read their Bible some more is not going to fix their problem. They need to be in a place where they have people who are surrounding them, who are further down in the walk with them, that can come alongside of them and pick them up and move them forward. And so if that's you this morning, if you're sitting in here and you're saying, I've got stuff that just seems to control me, doing what I just said is not going to help you unless you get some people involved, know what's going on in your situation, and they help to move you forward by picking you up and saying there's hope, God's going to set you free, you just need to keep moving forward. 
And then here's the most awesome thing about this. All of this works because God is merciful. See, when David finally got the fact that it was his sin, his problem, and told God to punish him instead of the people, God relented. God stopped what was happening and told David what he needed to do. David fell before a merciful God and said, God, it was me. God, I did it. Knowing that God was going to have mercy on him. And we're going to get to what happened next week. Or no, two weeks from now. Next week is Mother's Day. And so we got to remember who our God is. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love and compassion and doesn't care how far you have gone, how deep the rabbit hole has gotten. He's there to pick you up, give you mercy, and help you to continue to move forward. And so don't ever forget who God is. He is not the judgmental ogre you think he is. He's the one with the grace and the love and the mercy that's wanting to move you forward and develop those things, those fruits in your life so that you can become who he has called you to become. And so throw yourself on God's mercy knowing that he's going to give you the mercy that you need. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us on the Fam Church Podcast. Fam Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.